This episode is brought to you by Stuck In Between Card Games. Check out stuckinbetween.com to grab the drinking game or the conversations game, currently at 25% off. Order before October 31st to be in the running to win a $100 gift voucher to put towards a games night. For more info, jump onto our Instagram at suckinbetween underscore podcast. Welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy. And I'm Sandan. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we chat with NBA writer and reporter Sirat Sohi. We discuss her incredible experiences covering the NBA, her media journey, and her hot takes for the upcoming season. We also discuss Sirat's experiences as a woman of colour working in a field dominated by males, as well as how technology has changed sports and sports journalism. As an NBA nerd, I'm so hyped for this one. Let's get into it. Sarah, it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. This feels really weird to me because I'm so used to listening to you on other podcasts. So it's really cool getting to connect with you like this. You know, I like being in the other side of the chair as well. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Thanks for having me on. Uh, So for anyone who's listening who isn't an NBA junkie like I am, Jared is an incredible NBA writer and reporter currently with The Ringer, which is a podcast and media network based in the States. And they do everything from, you know, sports to pop culture, politics, film, music, everything in between. I absolutely love it. Um, So really excited to hear about your journey and experiences as a woman of color making a name for herself in sports journalism. Going back a bit, do you remember when you fell in love with NBA and hoops? Uh, yeah, so I grew up playing soccer, actually, and then around the grade six mark, I sort of, well, that was when I first started rebelling for my parents, and soccer was something that I did with my dad, and he was also sort of getting to that place where I think he really wanted me to be good, and I, I think, in hindsight, he was kind of projecting his dashed <laughs> soccer hopes a little bit onto me so we started kind of clashing a little bit and I remember this one day I just ran off the soccer field I was just done you know I think like we were mm-hmm. having we were getting into it a little bit and he was kind of just like no like you're not good enough and I was just like okay this is over and I ran home <laughs> so dramatic <laughs> probably in tears and I think shortly after that I just started picking up basketball um it was just kind of it was just something different there was nobody in my family who really played and it wasn't really a popular sport in Edmonton or anything like that and then I don't know the first time I picked it up I was like I want to figure out how to be good at this (laughs) that's awesome how did that kind of passion for basketball that sparked quite early then lead you into becoming a sports writer I always like to write and I don't think I really had the discipline to do anything that wasn't very fun for me so classic I thought I was going to be a lawyer um mm-hmm. you know hands hands up if anybody else thought they were gonna be a lawyer when they didn't I actually what else thought to do. that I would become a lawyer as well <laughs> classic there are some people like some South Asian people I know who like, genuinely wanted to become lawyers and they became lawyers and they love it and then there's another subsect mm-hmm. of South Asian people that I know who went ahead and became lawyers mm-hmm. because they still felt like they had to accomplish something that was I don't know, something that would make their parents proud, like, you know, just live up to some sort of expectation. So like that, being being a lawyer kind of fit perfectly into 
that bracket where I was going into school mm. and I knew I wasn't going to go into, you know, sciences. I was in arts and that was already like a whole thing. Not necessarily with my family. My family is pretty cool, but kind of like people around me. Yeah. But yeah, so I was I thought I was going to be a lawyer and I didn't have any idea what that meant, like <laughs> other than watching Suits, yeah, uh, yeah. which uh, I've been told is not a very realistic depiction of what it means to actually practice law. So you know, in my first year, I was kind of like, okay, clearly there's something wrong here. I just wasn't really academically motivated or anything like that. And I'd always love to learn. I was always just like, you know, I wasn't necessarily the most studious, but at the same time, I enjoyed school and I enjoyed the process of learning and I was curious. So mm. I just lost all of that. So I was like, Som- something's wrong. Like I'm on the wrong path here. And I was just kind of Googling different majors. Actually, I was just thinking like, maybe I need to start thinking about something else but sports writing hadn't really come into my mind until I saw a journalism major mm. and it kind of clicked with something else in the past where I was posting on these NBA forums just all the time I was posting all this long stuff right. and somebody who posted on those forums was like dude you should just start a blog like you're gonna be typing all this shit out anyways like mm. you might as well start a blog I threw the thought away I never thought about it um and in that moment it came back to me and I started a blog and I did it like kind of throughout college and there was still I mean, it took a few years after that to really hop from like the lane of just, you know, sort of pursuing academic success, because I think there's a security in that, which mm-hmm. is ironic because it probably I didn't like it, so it wouldn't have worked yeah. out. And like, but there was a perceived security in that, mm-hmm. that I didn't really let go of until I first started making money freelancing, doing basketball stuff. That's when it started to feel real to me. And I was like, OK. I can actually devote myself fully into this lane. So I did that in the last few years of school. And then I moved to Toronto and freelanced and then, you know, things, things worked out. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, you mentioned before that when you picked up a basketball, you're like, how can I become really good at this? Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's probably your attitude towards everything, if I'm not wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> really? No? I appreciate that, though. What about with your journalism career, though? I mean, we'll get into this in a bit more detail in a second, but being like a woman, a South Asian woman uh-huh. who's just like stepped out into this field and done so well for yourself in mm-hmm. this career, surely it's not just luck like there's gonna be a lot oh, of no of course not skill. of course not but yeah. I, I think the key is that I love writing and I love basketball yeah. and when you love things yeah. like it just so the two worlds came together yeah it just naturally my curiosity towards basketball towards writing I think the thing is like when you actually really start writing and caring about writing you realize that there's no end to it so right. it tapped into a love that I've always had for it but also it's just something you can never win at so there's a like a, a masochistic part of me that I think loves writing because I know that I'll never be satisfied mm. by it as well. So yeah. it kind of was like the perfect thing for me, especially at the time. Uh, like I, I think like growing up, my mom always said that like if I wanted to do something, there was nothing that could stop mm. me. And if I didn't want to do it, there was nothing that was yeah. going to make it happen. Right. So that's why I kind of laughed when you said that, because like that's not how I am. I'm not necessarily like the most go-getter person but at the same time it's like if I really love Mm. it then I like dive in I think that's most people too Mm, I love that I mean you can't always force yourself into something that you don't enjoy right so I love how like the two worlds came together so nicely for you um I have to ask and I'm sorry don't kill me Sandin um but I know very little about this world full disclosure Mm -hmm. um but what does being an NBA writer or reporter involve from a day-to-day point of view Uh, You're going to games, you're going to practices, uh, you're trying to talk to 
coaches, assistant coaches, players, like whoever's essentially available, um, just going to games and trying to learn and you're breaking stuff down. You're probably writing and reading a lot of NBA content yeah. and it's like, it's kind of what you expect. Mm, yeah. So all the background research and because you already had the interest, it wasn't like it was too difficult to get into that path anyway. Right. Like, it's not like you were having to read and research something that you didn't really like because it no, sounds I was like already like a big yeah, NBA fan. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously like being a, a writer isn't a conventional career path especially for a brown person you mentioned this just before with some of your friends who are going into law and other Mm -hmm. more like quote-unquote stable careers what was your mindset when you were going into the career like did you ever think there's no one that looks like me out there who is doing something similar and did that ever impact your decision or halt you at all I think probably on a subconscious level, it gave me a little bit of pause. Uh, I think mm. it's weird because this, I actually do this now. Like, that's a good question, but I think it probably applies to like some of the paths I didn't take in my life that I'll never know mm. about. You know what I mean? Like, I think about right. that question a lot. I think maybe I got lucky in this regard too. And that it never crossed my mind because as much as I was an NBA fan, I wasn't necessarily somebody who was consuming a lot of media. So I wasn't necessarily aware of right. just how white and male dominated like sports media, especially in Canada, was and, and, and is and like it's getting better, but it does continue to sort of be that way. Uh, mm. So it was like there was an ignorance, actually, that I think helped me. Like I was a huge, right. huge NBA right. fan, but my the extent to which I was consuming media about the NBA was like, what was on my tv it was like Mm. chuck and kenny and tnt which i'm never gonna be that so like it wasn't really like it didn't even cross my mind like i don't look like these people like they're former basketball players you know like there was Mm. an element to it that i didn't necessarily think about until i actually started doing it and like people would kind of talk to me about it like oh it's great that i'm trying to do this because there's not enough people with my perspective and by that point it was actually more encouraging than anything else i was like oh okay great like this kind of like it's nice. It's like, you know, I think maybe it was getting in at the right time as well. Like maybe if I had tried doing this 10 years before I did, like it wouldn't mm. like the gatekeepers would have been like, nope, that's not happening. Like, yeah. but I think yeah. I kind of was able to skirt that in a strange way. Uh, I've also just always kind of been naturally a little bit like, like I played basketball because like no one else played it. I didn't like hockey. It was just like, I was just kind of like, one of those. Yeah. like I, if, if people like, <laughs> it's like, honestly, like I had, Growing up, I had a pretty solid uh, chunk of sort of internalized racism as well. I think I probably ran away from the things that were like other brown people were doing more than I actually embraced them. So the idea of mm. me looking different, like, I don't know, growing up in Edmonton, like I just I, I always liked punk rock and stuff. Like I was always like the brown person in the room that was like the only brown person in the room yeah. if I actually wanted to do things that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. And that was I don't want to generalize about anything like that was just very specifically like my situation. Mm. So yeah, like that part of it was never really an issue. Yeah. It was just, it was kind of like, yeah, it, it was, if anything, it kind of like played into it for me. Mm. Yeah. That's super interesting because I feel like for many of us that internalized racism, it can go two ways, right? You either like feed into the stereotype because you feel like that's what you're meant to be or you mm-hmm. push away from it rather than kind of figuring out how can we pull from each of the cultures yeah. in the ways that makes most sense to totally. us. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that you spoke about was how the media landscape in Canada was 
not something that you were super conscious of necessarily. I think something that Australia is behind North America in is diversity in sports coverage. I think now we're starting to see a bit more gender diversity and like a little bit more people of color, but it's still not a lot at all. If you look at our sports coverage, um, you're paving the way on two fronts. Firstly, as a woman working in a predominantly male field. And then secondly, as a person of color working in the field where we don't have many South Asians if at all, mm-hmm. uh, maybe let's start with your experience as a South Asian working in the area. What's it been like being a South Asian from like a community point of view of, you know, having aunties and uncles, maybe not fully understand mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. being an NBA writer means, but also being in the locker room. Do you feel like your ethnicity has been a factor in any capacity, whether that be, you know, people maybe relating to you more because you are a person of color or maybe the other way where you are maybe looked at differently because you're not the stereotype of what an NBA reporter might look like? So the first question, um, there's one thing that always sticks out to me is, uh, so my parents have always just been like, do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. That's just been like the way that they were. And it was more sort of like the community around me that was the other way, which is maybe part of why, like this is going to be a therapy session, but maybe part of why I (laughs) sort of like tried to define myself in opposition of it, which is something that like, I I think like I'm figuring out Mm. how to not do that anymore. But um I remember one of my one of my best friends in college. This is this is honestly like kind of like the best way to I think in hindsight like kind of define I don't know my experience like with the brown community in Edmonton has been like and also a lot of aunties and just like and even my mom in a lot of ways of things that I didn't agree with that they were actually doing and saying because they wanted the best for me but they just thought that different paths would be good for me so mm. I had a friend who, in grade 12 she went to my mom and she was like auntie like Sirith is so smart like she could do anything she wants you can't let her go into arts like you have to make sure she goes into sciences like mm. you know like she and she really deep like she meant it like really like out of like the bottom of her heart she yeah. thought she was helping you know what I mean yeah. um and she was just like no you have to make sure she goes into something she can actually use you know what I mean like that was kind of her perception of it and that's not like I think at the time that was something I looked at and it was kind of like fuck you you know like there was like that kind of brought out that mean streak of like no I'm gonna prove you wrong I think in hindsight I realized that we just had different experiences of the world and we had different perceptions of what was an option to us Mm. and what was available to us what we had to become right and that's kind of how I feel about it now you know I think there were a lot of people who were just like, what? Like, what do you, what is that? What are you going to, can you make money doing that? Like, mm. that was like always a, sort of like, no, like, you know, like no one wants to talk about money, but everyone wants to talk about money, mm. you know? <laughs> so that was always like a, like a part of it. But that, that's kind of how I would kind of define it now. Like it was something that I rebelled against that I think I was right to rebel against, but now I definitely have more compassion for why, like it, I realized now it was actually just a form of like love and like trying to help mm. me and trying to protect me, even if it was like, not necessarily the right path for me. Yeah, I think a lot of the time this type of advice does come from a good place for the most part if it's someone that you know, you love and you trust who is like Mm -hmm. giving this type of advice. Like you said, this was your friend, right? Who went up to your mom and... Yeah, said this and like you. Yes, and she totally like. I don't think there was any ill will in that at all. (laughs) Like, yeah. I mean, like the surprising part for me is like you would think that typically like people in our generation have that mindset that like you can do anything you want you don't have to follow the conventional career paths but for someone who is you know your age your friend to have opposing 
thoughts to you in that sense really goes to show that sometimes like based on upbringing and based on what values are instilled within you as well like not everyone realizes that it is an option for them you know like to do mm-hmm. something out of those buckets but if that's genuinely what you enjoy that's fine oh, yeah. it's just an interesting thought to think that like people kind of still think that way like yeah people our age yeah yeah I mean I, that's that was kind of like the way the majority of the people around me probably subconsciously thought mm-hmm. about their own past and stuff and also like that's fine you know like I think a lot of people were in different scenarios and I was too a lot of people didn't have parents that were like saying hey go do and be whatever you want to be and everything right like that's that's what I hope like you know because like all those friends by the way are incredibly supportive of me and also want to raise their kids in that way too like that is just part of being first gen right like like we're we're like a bridge you know like even I feel like that all the time yeah like I can say all these things but like I feel like a mess all the time because I still have that sort of like idea of like I want to cling to security and like Mm I there's just like you know our parents are that way and there's like intergenerational trauma and all that stuff is like so part of your body and how you think about things and even though you might not actually materially be in a situation where you need to think that way it just it is in us it is in me for sure like I'm half the time it's like you know like I'm rebelling against my community but I'm also rebelling against myself Mm. and like this like little voice in me that's like yo pull back like you know what I mean yeah those beliefs that have been sort of instilled or internalized within you from when you're a young age it's hard to just let go although like you don't prescribe to all of those things it's still like on the back of your mind all the time like with anything Mm -hmm. right you think like oh should I be moving out because like you know what will my parents think and like should I be at home Mm -hmm. for them or career paths getting into relationships like everything I feel like your background and your upbringing and your thoughts particularly being that first gen bridge like you said infiltrates you everywhere yeah totally like I feel like the biggest one that like I feel like me and my friends are going through right now is learning how to take care of ourselves Mm. instead of like putting everything into our careers Mm. like yeah that's one that I see on TikTok I see like just like in conversations that I have with my friends who are all by the way like not all like like everybody has different like sort of priorities in their lives but like so many of them are just incredibly motivated and have become incredibly successful in their careers and now they're at this place where they're like I'm tired and I don't know what my purpose is and I want to connect to community and I want to like eat a chocolate bar and not like punish myself for you know not being perfect and all that stuff you know it's also kind of like that second generation mindset of like we've seen our parents hustle so hard leaving everything behind to start anew Mm -hmm. that we feel like we'll have to follow the same hustle mindset and we don't Mm -hmm. give ourselves and you're the girl yeah Yeah. and like you you don't see your parents (laughs) doing self-care for real yeah Yeah. we got to teach ourselves like how to how to live and stuff like kind of new models on 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 how to be a human in ways which is difficult because you have the old ways and like as much as they aren't always helping you they're comfortable mm. exactly no I feel like Sandin and I experienced something similar early this year about the whole self-care part because that went down the toilet um you know a few months ago <laughs> and then we're like no we need to just like check ourselves and take care of ourselves first before we go and do these mm-hmm. other things because like you can't pour from an empty cup like if you're depleted and burnt out and not enjoying life per se because you're so stressed about everything you have to do. Like there's just no point to doing it all. Um, so it's definitely like a worldwide conversation. Maybe you're, mm-hmm. we're finally realizing maybe, maybe it's an age thing. Like Sam and I sort of in our mid to late twenties now. So maybe that's mm-hmm. making us realize that we need to like take a step back a little bit, but it seems to be a common conversation that's happening across 
a lot of people around our own. Yeah. The other piece of it as well, and yeah. Sandra mentioned this at the beginning, um, we've talked about how you've kind of paved the way as a South Asian person and your experience as being a South Asian person in basketball or in journalism, I should say. The other side of it is obviously being a woman in the field. And you alluded to it before about how in Canada growing up, you really just saw men who were journalists and sports reporters. And I don't know if this is me generalizing so call me out if it is but I feel like being a woman in a predominantly male field you're not always taken seriously I I don't know if you have to work extra hard to be like no I know what I'm talking about I'm qualified to be having these types of conversations maybe particularly as more and more women were starting to become Mm. and start in the forefront I mean like you look at a situation like Chris Gale the West Indies cricket player flirting with an Australian reporter, Mel McLaughlin, um, yeah, in one of the games. Um, And you see situations like that and she's very seriously trying to do her job and he's kind of flirting with her on national television while she's Mm -hmm. trying to seriously do her job. So do you do... Yeah, it was very, very awkward. Um, This was a few years ago. But did you ever... I mean, not that particular experience per se but what was your experience like working as a woman in the field like did you feel like you had to put yourself out there in a particular way to be taken more seriously or that you weren't taken super seriously especially at the beginning yeah it's been kind of a journey I think in the beginning it kind of it motivated me to make sure that I was getting everything right and then mm. you know I just wanted to be really really on top of things and like you notice it sometimes like it totally depends on the person but like you know when you're in a locker room like sometimes like a player will just like flirt with you or like they'll say something that's like kind of vaguely annoying I've never had anything like too bad but it's been like just like those things that like you know as all women in any industry and just walking around in life that like our mechanism to deal with that stuff just becomes like learning how to fucking just throw it away you know what Mm -hmm. I mean and you just notice like again I think like this is another thing that women experience in all industries is like when you're talking to somebody and you know that they are either not taking you seriously or you say something that they perceive to be intelligent and now they're like surprised and impressed by you and it's like okay cool (laughs) like you're uh kind of giving away the kind of person you want here so I and and also like to that point I have learned to sort of be more discerning and try to see that as a gift like when I was beginning I, I think I just wanted to like run away from the idea that like I could be perceived a certain way so I was just trying to get everything right all the time mm. oh I've been doing this long enough that I know that I will be wrong all the time and that also people will let me know about it loudly on Twitter via email via Instagram like via everything so like there is nothing I can do about that and there's nothing I can do about like sometimes I might be wildly wrong and it could be the first time that somebody's seeing my work and like that could be a reflection on women or like people of color in the industry and I just kind of have to learn to live with that and see that as like that is that person's prejudice and bias and it has nothing to do with me or like the work that I do like obviously Mm. like you want to do a good job but like I've had to learn to not have that be my motivation because that kind of gets into like perfectionism and stuff and like at the end of the day I'm a writer like I'm gonna be at my best if my mind is like in a free-flowing state not thinking about all the ways that I could be wrong about something you know so it's definitely something that like I've dealt with but like I've kind of tried to 
evolve my perspective on it just for my own sake you know just of so course. I don't live in like that in that mental headspace yeah of course and it's crazy how it happens across so many different industries like mm-hmm. we interviewed someone called Tina Abesekura she's an Australian fashion stylist and she has a super successful blog now but prior to that she was in like the water engineering space if I remember correctly and she felt like she had to dress a particular way when she went to the workplace mm-hmm. and not like herself because she's a fashion stylist she loved to dress like colorfully mm-hmm. and in like unique pieces but she couldn't and she felt like she just had to wear like a black blazer and like you know just look oh super serious so that the men in her workplace <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, totally. would take her seriously uh, girl, like the, the, the tones of gray that I was wearing I think I found like um, every tone of gray blazer <laughs> I could possibly could in the first year of writing about the NBA. yeah oh my gosh <laughs> do you feel like you can be more yourself now though like in terms yeah, totally. Of, yeah. I think I think part of that is like I just know people more. So even the people that were like gonna have their biases at the beginning, like, have a little bit more respect for me. I mm. guess maybe they yeah. do, but also like, who fucking cares? Like, I just started dressing how I've been like acting, however I want. Especially like you know, I think going through the pandemic and everything, I think everyone kind of like took a little look inwards, and mm. I don't know. I came out of it feeling much more like myself. Mm. So I've yeah. tried to like keep that going that's really cool to hear and i think it's important to hear experiences like yours for others to learn from so it's great to hear that you've been able to kind of reclaim your identity in that way and kind of push away those things that might have been holding you back earlier on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, something that i'm curious to get your perspective on is obviously sports journalism has changed a lot over the last 10 years or so with the rise of social media now you know anyone can be a so-called analyst and like post their takes and opinions to the masses and it's like a 24 7 news cycle right Mm -hmm. Uh, you kind of came onto the scene where there were all of these changes happening like podcasting was coming on the scene there was analytics on the rise there was social Mm -hmm. media i guess in some ways there's positives out of that because athletes can kind of shape their own narrative mm-hmm. and start new media like Pat Bev and Draymond like to say mm-hmm. but obviously on the other side there's all these trolls that you have to deal with and people maybe thinking or claiming that your job is so easy because you just get to talk about a sport for a living and right. they could be doing the same thing or whatever mm-hmm. how have you felt technology change sports and sports journalism for better or worse oh it's such a good question um God, in, in so many ways, in so many ways that have been really good in so many ways that like, I think we're all sort of still learning how to navigate. Um, I'd say like, yeah, the trolls part of it is something that you kind of learn how to navigate as you continue to do this. Like at first mm. I was like, I'm going to prove all these people wrong. And it's like, no, not dude, no, you're not. <laughs> like, that's not how this is going to work. But, you know, I think that I think that like when it comes to like new media and everything, I think it's great. Honestly, I think like mm-hmm. the more player perspectives that we can get, whether we agree with them or disagree with them, the better. Uh, just because like you can take something out of every. Like I, I found that like every time I listen to a player on a podcast or like doing their own thing, like I might not agree with everything that they do, and I think that you do have to have like a discerning eye in terms of like where, you know the perspective is coming from and they might be trying to like say things from their own side. Like, I think the best example of this is probably like when Draymond Green and, and Kevin Durant did that podcast yeah. talking about how like their fight wasn't really that big of a deal. And like, you know, the organization, it was their fault, like how they handled it and stuff. And like, it's like, that's not true. Uh, but at the same time, it was also really nice to hear their perspective on it. Like, I feel like it gave me a fuller picture of it. And maybe just as somebody who like, I, that's what I do. Like I interview a bunch of people and then I try to figure out like what, 
perspectives like are right and which aren't like that's just kind of my way of approaching it but I also think that maybe that's how everybody approaches anything that they read or see or hear now or I hope that they would because there are so many perspectives out there that you kind of almost always have to have like a bit of discernment like I I think we're seeing it happen Mm -hmm. with traditional media too where it's like okay like ESPN could report something but everybody in like the comment section or like on Reddit or whatever is also like okay, so this reporter has a relationship with this agency, which it means it came from this person, which is why it's like tainted this way, right? Like if you're, if you're like an actual fan, like, and that can get into some like bad conspiratorial places, which it has like in places that are much more serious than sports. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, it's also like, it makes me happy that people are still sort of thinking with like, they're still thinking, right? Like they're not like, just like Mm -hmm. reading something or like taking something a player said or anything and just being like, yes, this is definitely true, you know? Yeah, yeah, not taking it for face value, right? I think to yeah. your point, like that's something yeah. that's important across all types of journalism and media, not just mm-hmm. sports as well. You mentioned before about people on Twitter and Instagram letting you know when they disagree or, you know, if you've said something that they don't like. Mm-hmm. First of all, I don't know how you deal with that. Um, we've spoken to like a few sort of people in the media and they kind of say they've gotten used to the trolls and ignoring them now, but do you ever bite your tongue or not put forward an opinion because you know it's not the consensus uh-huh. because of the trolls or because of yeah. the fear that you're going to offend all of these like famous athletes that you're writing about? Yeah, I hate to say this, but yes, and I'm mm. working on it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, uh, it's definitely like, you notice it in the moment, um, especially as I've started podcasting. I think writing, it's easier because like while I'm writing, I can notice, oh, I'm starting to do this and I can like sometimes I've fallen into the trap but I can also kind of like step back and reassess and be like oh I'm kind of doing the thing where I'm scared of what people will say so I don't want to say something Mm. so like I'll kind of like be like no we're gonna say it like that's not a good reason not to say something but when I'm podcasting you're right in the moment right so like sometimes I won't say the thing because it's just the most natural thing to do right so Mm. uh yeah I've fallen into it for sure yeah how are you working on that? Like over time, not getting caught up in it? Because you, you said it's a work in progress. Yeah, you just notice it more. Like, mm-hmm. I think like when I first started noticing it, I was like, oh, like that's not great. Um, yeah, I think identifying it has made it easier because like now I can kind of catch myself in the moment. Like I'm about to not say what I actually feel. And then I just, I don't know, I guess like when I notice that I just like change tack and I just do, I guess sometimes, right? Like, it's not like I, th- I think that just comes with like growing up and learning to not care what people think in general mm-hmm. right like I don't think I can work on that in a vacuum right and like just mm-hmm. be like, this is gonna make me a better sports writer like on some level yeah sure like but that's only going to get me so far mm-hmm. whereas like if I reframe how I view other people's opinions in general which uh like that's like a much bigger thing to tackle but also like a much more important thing to tackle as well and it'll kind of mm-hmm. I mean it help that helps with everything in your life yeah. you know yeah and I guess the other thing is that you're in a field with so many big names who've been doing this for decades, right? Like you mm-hmm. work with Bill Simmons, you work in an industry with people like Stephen A. Smith. So being able to be confident in putting forth your opinions that might not align with their opinions as well, navigating that, I feel like would be super difficult as well. Yeah. Um, we can't let you go without talking about the NBA a little bit. <laughs> um, you're obviously are working in such an incredibly unique space that not many of us get to be in. What's been the standout moment for you that you've covered? Have there been any like, oh my God, I get to do this as a living sort of moments? Yes. uh, Kawhi's Game 7 shot. Oh my gosh. It will like forever live in my brain as one of the coolest moments I've ever, ever experienced in my life. 
just being in the arena and like the five seconds or like the four bounces slow motion, right? where you just didn't know what was going to happen. Like it was just the entire, you just knew the entire arena was just fixated on the same thing at the same time. And right. I thought it was going to miss. So I was like, I was on the angle of the front bounce, like on the right side baseline, but like way up in like the, in the media level. So my angle of it was like, I looked at the shot. I started packing my laptop. Like, I'm kind of like, I'm like, I have my laptop in my hand while I'm like looking at it. And then it bounces and it bounces and it bounces. And it's like, it's oh shit. Like the shot went in. And then right behind me, there was the Raptors analytical staff. That's where they watch the games from. And they're all screaming like that. And that never happens. Like, yeah, they're happy to win a playoff game. Right. But it's like, this is game seven. They right. are screaming. That was just so cool to see. Like, they're so happy and everyone's so happy. Cause even like, Media row in the Raptors is like a little different than regular media rows because most people that cover basketball in Canada like grew up being Raptors fans. And like as much as like you can shake your subjectivity and try to be objective, that was just such a special moment. Like that part of you that is a fan is just going to seep through. So people in media row are happy. And then like obviously the arena is going just absolutely berserk, right? And yeah, but the coolest thing will like forever that will stand out to me is just like that collective moment, everyone focusing on the same thing, just like as a human experience was. That's so nuts. cool like that'd so mean cool. so well especially because like there's only one team in the country right so you've got the right. whole nation right behind this team that'd yeah yeah so totally yeah totally and like you could feel that aspect of it as well who would you say is your best friend in the nba world like is there any player that you're like tied enough with where you're like sending memes or you know, <laughs> hitting them up uh, um, just about something random the, uh, i feel like i shouldn't say Okay, but there yeah, is someone. Like it, would, it would give, yeah, like just, yeah, yeah, but it would just give away certain, like where certain things come from sometimes, you know. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, but yeah, there's like, there's one player who is an international player who have always really enjoyed talking about the international experience with, and also just occasionally playing like Connect right. Four with on iMessage as well. <laughs> so, um, yeah. That's I, awesome. I love that. I think Sandler was purely just asking so he could get himself an intro to someone calling the I'll tell, NBA. I'll tell you when we stop recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, have any of these people or like this particular mate of yours that you're talking about given you some really good advice that stuck with yeah. you whether it be about life or your career? Oh, oh, totally. Like just from the job perspective, like when you talk to people who actually play the games and have to live a lifestyle, you just get a completely different perspective, right? Like we really do mm. not understand anything about how these athletes live and like their day-to-day -day and like the stresses that are on them, right? So like, mm. you know, getting an opportunity to actually understand some of those things is definitely impacting my coverage. But on the other end of it, they're also just like, Young men navigating success and failure and being on a huge stage while dealing with all of that while also kind of like for the most part being in like the early 20s like they're so young they're just they're learning mm. so much about themselves and I think it takes a lot to be able to like balance all those things and like maintain composure or also like sometimes lose composure which is fine like you're a person and like it's a lot like it happens right so yeah. I learned so much from just like how these people like move and they navigate success and like their mistakes and and everything so yeah definitely yeah that's mm. awesome we're gonna end with a couple of rapid fire questions if you're cool. down yeah um who are your final picks for the upcoming season i feel like it's gonna be bucks clippers that's me like, yeah 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 we actually i just submitted mine uh we just did our like uh our staff poll and like that's what i got we're go. on the same page yeah who do you have winning i've got the bucks winning 
Okay, I've got the Clippers in seven. First championship ever. Going to break the curse. I just can't trust the health, yes. but I feel like they're going to have a killer season. That's so definitely... Got too much depth. That's fair. That's reasonable. I might I might have some, like, hindsight bias watching Kawhi just, like, decimate the entire NBA for a year, but... Ooh, that guy looks like... You know, like, he has added, like, 10, 15 pounds of muscle onto a frame that was yeah. already just all muscle. Like, he looks like the Terminator out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not to take anything away from Giannis, who perpetually looks like the Terminator, uh, or, like, looks like a... Greek like, God. I don't know, like, <laughs> like, if you took the Terminator and then you started playing, like, with, like, paint tools and stuff and just stretching him out. Like, <laughs> that's, that's what I got. Second question. If you could be best friends with an NBA player, any NBA player who you're yeah. currently not friends with, who would it be and why? Ooh, that's a good question. Hmm. Clay Thompson. Ooh, good pick. For obvious reasons. Obvious <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, not for obvious reasons for you. Uh, he is like so incredibly zen-like and happy to be doing what he's doing. Like he just like plays basketball. I think he smokes weed and he hangs out with his dog and he takes a boat to the practices. Like he just knows how to live. Yeah. He just completely Goals. knows how to live. Goals. Yeah. Um, does LeBron win another ring? Oh, uh, man. I love LeBron so much, so I hate saying this, but no. Yeah, I feel the same way. I'm, I'm a big LeBron guy, yeah. but I, I, yeah. I don't think it's in the cards. I just can't see it with these Lakers. Although apparently Russ is going to come off the bench in this last preseason game. I'm a little more optimistic about the Lakers than most people are. I think they could not be quite. better than what they were last year, which I guess is not like, uh, it's not, not a huge bar to clear, but something. Let's see what happens with AD. I think that's the main thing. Yeah. Um, if you could start an NBA franchise anywhere in the world, which city would you base it in? Who would I've you build your Alberta, team around? Baby. I've been to Alberta. Let's go. We're doing it next. <laughs> okay, so, so, so you're starting in Alberta. Who would you base your team around yeah. if you could pick anyone from the league? And what would you name your team? If I could start a franchise, can I pick like can I pick a non-NBA player and take that Victor Women Because, <laughs> like, oh, my God. Uh, but no, I'll pick an NBA player. Uh, I would, Giannis is so far into his career now that, like, I almost don't want to pick somebody who's, like, you know, I'm not going to have for the next 15 years. Um, Luca, surely. Luca was thinking. I'm just thinking if there's anybody that's not Luca that I'm. Otherwise, it's going to be Luca. Um, yeah, it would probably be Luca. Luca and Edmonton. There we go. Who's the greatest of all time? MJ. Good answer. I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of as like as the dust sort of settles on LeBron's career too. It's like increasingly obvious to me. MJ was maniacal. He only cared about basketball, right? Like LeBron cares about all these other things, which, hey, more power to him, mm. right? But it's definitely like he's probably left a ring or two on the table, you know? Yeah. Our last question is actually from a card game that Sandin and I actually released a couple of months ago. So we released two games. One's a drinking game. One's a conversations game. Oh, really? Yeah, we did. It's been super exciting. It's only been out for like maybe a month or two now. Okay. Um, but we picked a question from our conversations game to wrap up, okay. so what stereotype within the South Asian community bothers you the most? Something that's true or something that I perceive, like, that I think is, like, not true. Either, Either or. Either or, yeah. Ooh, okay. Hmm. Honestly, I think it's uh, intelligence, like, the idea that everybody is smart. Mm. Not that people aren't smart. One. I love that. Um, but I think it puts so much pressure on people to chase academic success and, like, very specific kinds of success like what we have deemed as a society to be like a, a successful human being who has their shit together um 
Yeah, I just I think the pressure that it creates is really unhealthy. I don't know. I just like we should be able to be dumb. Like I'm stupid as fuck so much, like all the time. I just do dumb things. I make so many mistakes. And it's been hard for me to like actually come to terms with the reality that I am a human being who makes mistakes yeah. because there is this idea of like you have to like you should be just on and perfect all the time. Yeah. I love that answer. And I feel like because of that, there's a little bit of an ego. So when you do make mistakes, sometimes our community struggles yeah. admits that we were wrong. So yeah, yeah I wasn't expecting that answer. It's hard for me. Yeah, good answer. I'm really curious though, yeah. uh, before we get, like, what is it for you guys? I think um, one stereotype that I think we have in our community is that we aren't multifaceted. So we don't give each other the space mm -hmm. to be multidimensional when in reality, that's what it means to be human. Yeah. I think that's what it would be for me. What about you, Romy? Mm. A good question. I feel like um, one of the stereotypes is that you always like. I don't know if this is a stereotype or not, but everyone's in each other's business, or like everyone cares about mm. what other people. Mm -hmm. are You're doing. allowed to be in other um, people's business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fact that that's okay <laughs> is a stereotype that bothers me. Like it's such a true Yo. stereotype, and it's like the one. <laughs> Everyone listening right now, Sira is fist pumping in the air. Um, yes. but yeah, that that totally bothers me. Like it annoys me a lot. Like I think if you truly care about someone and you want, yeah. you know, you're genuinely wanting the best for them, like that's a different story. But not everyone's like that, and some people are just in it just for the goss and just to have an opinion when mm -hmm. no one really wants their opinion. That is like my biggest gripe. I want to take it yeah. one step further. Even yeah. if, even if you're in it for the right reasons boundaries yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yo, we, yeah. i got it we got like yeah because I, I don't think what you're talking about is a stereotype i think it's true yeah, yeah, yeah. i Absolutely. think it comes from like a very natural place of you know growing up in these small yeah. communities in villages yeah. everybody is naturally in each other's business it is a survival tool it was something that was necessary and it was also probably something that was also just there for the goss as well yeah, right yeah. like there's a, there's mm -hmm. a mix of these things but everybody knew each other everybody knew what everybody else needed there was a genuine community element and i love that we have brought that community element to like the places that we are in yeah. now that it is incredible. It is something that I think that like, honestly, the rest of the world is kind of missing, mm. but at the same time, I have to call us out yeah. boundaries, yeah, yeah, yeah. boundaries. Man, like you have to respect that other people make their own decisions, that other people have secrets, that they deserve the right privacy, to privacy. Right? Yep. Like, of, like parents stop opening your kids mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop it. It's not okay. Yeah. It's not okay. There's so many things. I could like I'm not gonna go on too much about this, but because everybody knows what it is, yeah, everybody yeah. knows what their little they can't they think I have it too. Like there's things I just want to know, like you know. But it's you don't get to know everything mm. about everybody, and nor should you. Absolutely, totally agree with you there. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that, Sarah. I wish I could speak to you for longer about the NBA specifically in the upcoming season, but Romy wouldn't have let me we'll do have that. We'll have to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> Would love that. Would absolutely love that. But it was yeah, absolutely incredible getting your perspective, given your unique experience, paving the ways that you are. Thank you so much for taking the time. We can't wait to read and hear all of your takes and perspectives from the upcoming season. All the best for it. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. This is this is really nice. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Hopefully I didn't go down too much of a NBA rabbit hole, <laughs> Romy, and the episode was still entertaining for our non-NBA fans. Listen to this as well. <laughs> Don't forget that you only have a week left to submit your entries for our card game gift voucher giveaway. More info on our Instagram. We'll catch you next time for our conversation with Shakti Dharan. 
an incredible local playwright, to learn more about his upcoming play and the storytelling process. We'll see you then. Bye.